early marriage. in marriage. We've, uh, how many Elmbrookers we've been going through the year of Jubilee? Well, the reason we were chosen for Jubilee is my husband's in the year of Jubilee this year. He's 49 going on 50. Oh. <laughs> so Great. I don't think you're... Am I supposed to say that? Probably not. Until okay. Like. All right. So that's the year of Jubilee, right, hon? Yes, it is. Okay. Let's pray. Let's pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, come tonight before you, Lord, and we know that we're two or more are gathered, that you're with us, and we just ask you, Lord, that you would uh, touch hearts tonight, Lord Jesus, and change lives through uh, your words tonight, Lord. Let them not be ours, but let them be yours, and just let uh, everyone here tonight, Lord, learn how to uh, draw closer to you and closer to each other in this year of Jubilee. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we always talk about joy uh, in our family and in our relationship, and joy is spelled J-O-Y. J stands for? Jesus. Good. O stands for? Other. Good. Y stands for? Yourself. yourself. And if you keep it in that line, Jesus, others, yourself, dead last, you'll have joy, okay? Well, a lot of times we don't do that at home, so we call each other a? Yatch. Call each other a yatch because we have put ourselves first. So it's yourself, others, and Jesus. And so we have totally blown it, so we call each other a yatch. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so every time that Umbrook offers uh, something like a family retreat or a couple's retreat or, as we spoke of, these uh, family life conferences, we uh, do our best to try to keep our marriage fresh by attending one of those because it really is easy to get in that mode of putting yourself first, and that's obviously not healthy for a marriage. No. We have these big old marriage manuals around. In fact, this is what Brian is talking about. We have, has anybody ever gone to Family Life Conference, by the way? It's tremendous, okay? Uh, we have all these. We become alumni, so we have all kinds of alumni stuff to do, and, uh, and we have um, all kinds of um, books on marriage. In fact, we have some uh, handouts for you afterwards. Uh, talking about what kind of books that, that we love to read about marriage and how it's helped Brian and myself. But um, there's one area that we talk about called understanding behavioral tendencies. And what that means is, okay, now everybody can remember this. When you were, except for the ones that have been married about a year, okay. When you were first dating, okay, you'd see all of your quirks of your husband-to-be as great things. You know, oh, isn't that sweet? Oh, that's so nice. You know, they're qualities, and he's such a gift to me. That's so great, and you know, it would complete me. And so when, where I am weak, he is strong, and vice versa. And then we walk up the aisle, and, and you know, 15 years later after the Maui honeymoon, it's like I look at him and go, why aren't you more like me? <laughs> you know, those quirks aren't so cute anymore. You know, why aren't they more like me? So had we uh, thought about what we had actually done at one of the family life conferences, we did take a uh, personality uh, profile when we were at that, uh, probably, what, five years after we were married? And there was this profile called DISC. Anybody ever heard of DISC? I'll tell you what it stands for. Okay, there's a couple. Uh, for the rest of you, what DISC actually stood for was uh, D for dominance, I for influencing others, S for steadiness, and C for compliance. And believe it or not, we took that test five years after we were married, and you know what we found out? We were complete opposites. <laughs> now, hopefully we're not the only complete opposites in the room, so make us feel good by showing of hands. Are there any other opposites? that? Come on, like uh, hands up. All right. Come on. All right. Really, not the whole, really, that's incredible. Not okay. the whole, look at, we got some late bloomers back there. Yeah, we're opposite. <laughs> My <laughs> wife said I'm opposite. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Okay. 
So I'm a high I, okay? That's for influencing others. And so my tendencies are I'm very social, I'm very verbal, <clears throat> I'm enthusiastic, uh, optimistic, I'm somewhat disorganized, and I love to participate in like group activities and do group stuff. And when you put that all together, it creates a fast-paced, outgoing, trusted environment person who thrives on significance. And when I'm stressed, I dump my feelings emotionally, okay? Well, that makes it perfect for when I was in the advertising agency as a career, as well as in speaking, as well as being on air at 105.3 The Fish. Wow. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about what she said, though, as far as the um, very verbal, you know, oriented. You guys probably have heard this where it's talked about in couples that uh, women speak what? Uh, what's the number of words? 25,000 per, that's right, as an engineer, it's very important to have units with every number, okay, so 25,000 words <laughs> per day, okay, and so, and uh, the husbands are then about an average of, <laughs> two, 25, the numbers say about 2,500 words per day, so when you have an on-the-air radio personality that probably speaks 250,000 words a day, you do the math and move a decimal place, and that leaves about 250 for me. So I'm about <laughs> done pretty soon. <laughs> anyway. Hi, that wasn't in the script. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, so you're a high. And so I'm a high C, at, which was compliance with S, which was steady state being a close second. And uh, compliant and steady state, you know, for, for me and, and what I do at work and everything, you know, facts are our friends. So that fits very well with my attention to detail and uh, working in known conditions and concentrating, oh. <laughs> concentrating on not being distracted while I'm speaking, <laughs> while, uh, complying with, while complying with authority. You know, so all of those things said, th that fits very well for being in a Fortune 500 company and being uh, involved in engineering as I am with, with the company that I'm at. But it's not for a perfect Jubilee marriage, is it? No, dear. <laughs> that was good, Annie. See, before, before marriage, I focused on Brian's strengths, and I was paying little attention to his apparent weaknesses. After May 27, 1987, our perfect wedding in Maui, I started to focus on Brian's weaknesses that I once considered his strengths. And then I came to the understanding that his weaknesses are really an overextension of my strengths. So in the beginning, I'd see Brian's strengths as being accurate, and he's thorough, and he's persistent. I mean, after all, we met at a bank of phones at Midway Motor Lodge at Highway 100 and Blue Mound, standing next to one another, and he listened to me talk the whole time and uh, overheard my whole conversation. So he's very persistent to getting to know me, okay? Uh, he's intuitive, orderly. When I first saw this guy's closet, whoo, did I love it. I'm like, man, is he going to organize mine or what? It was perfectly done. And industrious, you know, he bought a fixer-upper on the North Shore, put tons of sweat equity into it, did a tremendous job on it, and he was dedicated to the end. But after years of marriage, I turned Brian's um, strengths into weaknesses. So I started looking at him as critical, as picky, as slow, indecisive. We've talked about this, honey, before, so this is nothing new. <laughs> and you ought to see my closet now. <laughs> what I have left of it. 
Okay, where was I? <laughs> Critical, picky, slow. Uh, indecisive. She wasn't thinking I was going to ad lib this much tonight. So she's, she's really going to be Oversensitive, um, moralistic, and he feared criticism. So I needed to refocus on his strengths, which then builds respect in our marriage. You know, I, on the other hand, I was attracted to Margot's enthusiasm and her talkativeness, believe it or not, at that point. I was like, wow, look at her go. And it was just a, and that was before she was on the radio. I was just like in awe of this. Just, she was just amazing with that. And, and, you know, she, and she was always, very, seriously, she was always very optimistic. And uh, she always put the other person first. And so, you know, I hadn't grown up in, in that kind of a family situation at all. In fact, uh, when we were going together before we were married, um, while I was working on the house that she was talking about, I injured myself pretty badly and uh, wasn't able to uh, go home for Christmas. I uh, had pneumonia and a bunch of stuff. And she packed me up in the car and preheated the car and put blankets and robes on me. And, and he took was in me his robe. And took me to her mother's uh, house and, and we celebrated with her family for Christmas Eve uh, because I wasn't able to go home. So, I mean, that's an example of, you know, her genuine love for, for other people. And, we, you know, we'd only been dating, what, a, a year at that point, so... In an engineering term, dating a year is, you know, not very long. <laughs> uh, that's right. And, uh, <laughs> and so, to me, it's a, like, we married yet or what? <laughs> you had to do the equations, honey. Yeah, the, right. the half-life of a, no, let's see. <laughs> okay. Um, so after years of marriage, you know, I saw these same characteristic traits that, that I was just talking about turning into weaknesses. You know, she was... Now all of a sudden to me excitable. Um, sometimes it felt manipulative in terms of you know how it would come across. Um, somewhat unrealistic, uh, disorganized, and uh, and undisciplined in, in how she would go about things. You know, so you start not looking at her in the same eyes as you did in the early years. So I needed to refocus, you know, on, on what her strengths were and, and what I had uh, first come to know her as, um, not not what I was perceiving, because she hasn't changed. You know, she still is the same bride that I uh, picked 20 years ago. So, Okay, we're done. <laughs> Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Do you guys know Adrian Rogers at all? He's a great pastor. Okay, He's in heaven now. But uh, he tells a story that an angel from the Lord came to visit Adam one night and told him that God was going to make a suitable partner for him. And this suitable partner would do things like rub his back and head tenderly, would bring him fresh fruit and drink, would fan him in the heat of the day, cook all of his favorite meals, keep the home perfect in every way, love him when he was unlovely, be at his beck and call and desire. <laughs> Adam said, whoa, this is great, but how much is this going to cost me? The angel said, well, uh, that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And Adam said, uh, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> okay, the last time I told this joke, I said, what, and I said, probably remember this, what, Adam said, what can I get for a hip? <laughs> the whole crowd's like, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know how you replay in your head, I went, ah, he said hip. So glad it was rib, honey, this time, and thank you. You got thank through you. it. brought me through it. I was praying for you. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Okay, so before marriage, you can see we were attracted to the differences in each other. 
Okay, now after years of marriage, we need to choose to focus on those as strengths and not weaknesses. And focus on those differences as how God made Brian unique. How God made your spouse unique, different than you. And I'm able to see how God created Brian to compliment me and how I'm made to compliment him. Because if I look at Brian and see how different he is compared to me, then what happens is I perceive those differences as negatives. They're negatives. And I underestimate how God has given me Brian and how God has created Brian. And so I'm, you know, undermining how God created Brian and his wonderful uniqueness. And this is where the sources of conflict come in, when you don't see them as a unique individual that's given to you as a gift. You know, we're to fill in each other's gaps. It talks about that, and we've heard that said many times before. When, when we were first married, um, our pastor during our wedding uh, uh, vows said, you know, may you look back one day and realize how small your love once was for each other. And all of a sudden, you know, w we talk about that often. And we, when we watch our uh, wedding video, you know, th that reminds us of that as well. So it's uh, very important that uh, we fill in each other's gaps and, and, and remember these things that we're talking about. You know, as a, you know, I'm, I'm compliant and pretty steady state, like I talked about earlier um, from that uh, DISC survey. You know, and, and Margot's not. She's an influencer. And so, you know, I need to see uh, Margot's uniquenesses demonstrated to me um, by her quick decision making and, and her spontaneity and her love uh, of people. So. Then I need to see you uh, as steady and the reliability of gathering all kinds of facts before he makes a decision. I mean, he will take, <laughs> this is a great, you know, when you go for a TV and, and we get all the decisions, all the facts together and everything, and everything. Well, the TV is already out, you know, technically wise and technology, it's already out of style before we decide to get one. <laughs> you didn't know I was going to say that, did you? <laughs> and, and, you know, because he's continually deciding on, the, on if this is going to be a good TV for us or not, which is a good thing. Plus, he is results-oriented. But when we focus on each other, and when you guys focus on each other as unique instead of different, that builds your trust together. That builds your trust. And respect is built when we focus on one another's strengths, not weaknesses. Trust is built when you focus on one another's uniqueness, not difference. You see how that works? You don't look at them as, you know, I, I love when we were first married what you said, Brian, because it was, it was uh, a situation where we were like Barbie and Ken, and we were in Maui, and we were all alone, and we got married, and it was an amazing situation because this pastor was brought right to us from God, and uh, he looked at us, and he talked about Ephesians 3.20, remember? And, and he said, you know, when you're going to look back at each other, and you're going to see, like Brian said, how small your love once was. And you know, at that time, you're so infatuated with each other. You guys remember back to it. Remember, you're so, you know, quote, in love with each other and the passion and everything that you can't believe that after 20 years of the hills and valleys that you can be more in love. But it's the love that really counts. It's that unconditional love. It's that love that God intended all along. And so with respect and trust comes commitment in our marriage. Commitment. And, you know, people would look at Brian and I in the world and say, oh, you know what, those two really aren't very compatible, do you think? That doesn't seem like very compatible. And, you know, Hollywood, you hear it time and time again. Britney Spears, I mean, she's already dumping her next guy. I mean, you hear it time, because you know why? We're incompatible. But that's not what God says. 
It's not about incompatibility. It's about commitment. It's about how God calls us together to be one. And we're not to call it quits. We are to continue to keep on keeping on. And it's about commitment. And love is a decision. It's not a feeling. See, um, Romans 15.2 says, um, I love this, because Paul was writing to the Roman Christians at the time, and he was saying, each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. And so I want you to make that your own verse with your spouse, okay? And say, like, each of us, or I, should please Brian. Or Brian should please Margot, okay? For Brian's good to build Brian up, okay? Because I love what it says, for even Christ did not come to please himself. He came to do what? He came to die, right? He came to die. So I know personally when I told God, my job is to love Brian your job is to change them. And Ruth Bell Graham said that about Billy Graham, which I always thought was so amazing. Because, I mean, Billy Graham would be like the perfect person to be married to, right? No. We're two imperfect people that God puts together. And it's like iron sharpening iron. And he says, my job is to love Brian. God's job is to change him. Brian's job is to love me. God's job is to change me. And then I remember adding, and Lord, if you never change Brian, it's okay. Change me. If you never change Brian, it's okay. Change me. And then the Lord turned our marriage into his marriage. And it became a jubilee marriage. See, wives, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. Don't worry, guys. Brian's going to talk to you a little bit later, okay? Okay? But wives, God's concerned about your responsibility for jubilee in your marriage. And it involves respect and it involves trust, which keeps you then focused on Jesus and then your husband will reap the blessings. So I just want to quickly touch on four areas of responsibility that we as wives are charged from God to do to become one with our husband. And that creates a jubilee marriage. Okay, We have responsibilities, wives, to complete our husband. Okay, Not to compete with him, but to complete him. There's this uh, true story about a man uh, named Pete He's the mayor of Pittsburgh, and in, as he and his wife, Nancy, were walking down the street, a construction worker yells, Hey, Nancy, remember me? We dated in high school. And her husband turns to her and says, Aren't you glad you didn't marry him? I mean, a construction worker? Nancy turns to her husband and says, Aren't you glad? He would have been mayor of Pittsburgh. <laughs> Sorry, hon. Okay. We... We have a lot to do with our husband's makeup, a lot to do with their self-esteem, a lot to do with their freedom in Christ. And your honey may never be the mayor of Pittsburgh or the president of the United States, but you are called to help him through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 11 says, However, in the Lord, neither woman is dependent on man, nor man dependent of woman. There's a mutual dependence. We are to complement each other. We're to fill in each other's gaps. Where he's strong, I'm weak. Where Brian's weak, I'm strong. It's a good thing. It creates oneness. Okay, we fill in each other's gaps. Like we talked earlier, you know, Brian's analytical and logical and reserved, and I'm gregarious and, and goofy and compulsive. These are qualities that we brought into the marriage. So the first uh, area of responsibility, ladies, is submission. It's submission. There are four areas. It's submission, respect, love, and the home. 
And the first area is submission. And I'm telling you, when I used to hear that word, I would cringe. Submission. Ephesians 5, 21 says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husband in everything. And submission is frequently misunderstood. I, um, I love how sweet Jill Briscoe shared uh, with me one time about submission. And it totally made perfect sense. And, and I was able to say, oh, yeah, that's what the word means. Because, you know, society sells us a bill of goods with this situation. They tell us submission is this, this, and this, and it is not. It doesn't mean inferiority. It doesn't mean you lose your identity. It doesn't mean blind obedience. Okay? It means to, and this is what it means, voluntarily organize in an orderly fashion so as to fill out a pattern that presents itself whole. Or it's a military term which means working together for victory. It creates order. Submission creates order. That's a good thing. Submission relationships are necessary and they're natural to maintain order. In uh, James 4, it says, God has authority over man. In Genesis 1, man has authority over nature. In uh, Ephesians 5, husbands have authority over their wives. In Ephesians 6, parents have authority over their children. In 1 Peter 2, governors have authority over the governed. And employers have authority over the employees. In 1 Peter 5, spiritual leaders have authority over the spiritually led. That's a good thing. It creates order so that you can march on to victory. But it requires an attitude of entrusting yourself to God. It requires that attitude of respectful behavior. You guys, nagging doesn't work. Okay? Nagging causes men to bristle. 1 Peter 3 says, Husbands are won by the behavior of their wives as they observe your respectful behavior. That's that silent preaching stuff. That's that not reacting when you want to take his neck and shake it. <laughs> that never happens to me. <laughs> Does it, Annie? No. No, dear. No, dear. No, dear. <laughs> okay, like St. Francis of Assisi says, preach Christ, use words only if necessary. Preach Christ, use words only if necessary. It's developing a godly character. Character, D.L. Moody, you guys know D.L. Moody, right? Character is defined, like he says, who you are in the dark. Who you are in the dark. First Peter 3 says, let not your adornment be external only, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. Do you know there was, a, there was a study done on communication, and it was found, listen to this, 53% of communicating is done by the tone of your voice. 53% is done by the tone of your voice. 40% is through body language. Well, I really like being here tonight. <laughs> right? And then 7% is through your actual words. We have two collies, and you know how you talk to dogs. It's like, oh, come on. Well, what if I said to Sadie, you know, um, you know, you're a good dog. Here's a cookie. She'd be like recoiling from me, <laughs> right? She'd be looking at me like, Ugh, right? She would be recoiling from me. That would not be, you know, the tone of voice I would use, is it? So we need to develop that godly character with our husbands. And it's imperative. Submission is imperative to have jubilee in your marriage. It tells God... I'm trusting you with Brian. 
I'm trusting you with your mate. I am surrendering control. I'm waving the white flag and saying, you know Brian way better than I know Brian. In fact, at one point, uh, I will never forget praying and asking the Lord to um, be the wife that I should be to Brian. And uh, I had a tendency to be Brian's personal Holy Spirit. Come along and you should be baptized, don't you think? You should do this, don't you think? And all this Holy Spirit stuff. And the Lord so wonderfully stopped me. And he gave me a vision. And he said, Margo, you stand right here. And Brian's going to stand right here. And see, then I can have a straight shot down to you because you have plenty of stuff that needs to be changed. Plenty. I got enough, you know, until I see you in heaven working on you. Okay? And then I can talk to Brian directly. Because right now, I'm talking to you, and he's hearing the rebound from you to him. And that's not what I want. That's not your job. That's my job. It was a wonderful healing time. It was great. I stopped being his personal Holy Spirit. The second area uh, that we need to work on, ladies, of responsibility to our husband is respect. The first is submission. The second is respect. Ephesians 5 says, let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. And respect in scripture means this, to voluntarily lift up another person for special consideration, treatment, and obedience. To voluntarily lift up another person for special consideration. Respecting your husband involves consideration. You need to consider his responsibilities. You need to consider his needs, physically, mentally, emotionally. I'll never forget uh, sharing with Brian. He'd come home, uh, a hard day, traveling or at work uh, uh, from Rockwell, and I remember uh, telling him about a thing called the trouble tree. And so he would be able to come a certain distance in the car and say, okay, now I'm going to change, and I'm going to think about my wife and family and home and be all the way there. And so as he would see this tree halfway home, he'd literally say, okay, Lord, I'm going to put my troubles on this tree, and I'm going to leave them right here. And when I get home, I'm going to be all there for my wife and my family. And then the next day I'm going to go by the trouble tree, it wasn't that bad because he had left it there, and he had left it with the Lord. And so it was a way to encourage him and to, and to consider him. In fact, this is funny. Irma Bombeck said she knew she needed to consider her husband more when she was more excited about the laundry man's return than her husband's. <laughs> Respect involves praying for your husband. It's a privilege. It's a ministry. You know, when you pray for your husband, you can't be angry at him. Did you know that? When you pray for anybody, you can't be angry at him. You can start out angry, but if you really continue on in prayer, he's going to change your heart in the middle of that. Then respecting uh, your husband involves encouragement. It involves coming alongside him and encourage. Affirm him. Affirmation versus accusation. You know, it's so easy to affirm my kids, our kids. It's so easy to affirm them. Oh, good job, Tori. Becca, good job. Oh, that's great. Oh, that guitar playing. You are so, you know, gifted by the Lord and to affirm them. And then it's, it's hard to affirm my husband all the time. It's easier just to accuse. Because, see, I expect that he knows better. With my children, I give more grace. And so I need to be a person who affirms him, who doesn't accuse him. And then have a positive focus. Look at it as, you know, the glass is half full. And build him up. Be his number one fan. 
be his cheerleader. You know, um, if you're not his number one fan and his biggest cheerleader, ladies, trust me, somebody else will be. Somebody else will be. Be somebody at work, somebody he's met, and you don't want him to look to the left or to the right. And somebody else will come along and be his biggest cheerleader. In fact, um, one of Brian's strengths that we talked about before is attention to key details and attention to key directives. Uh, we have a project going on right now, uh, putting in 10, 20-foot trees uh, on, on our lawn. And he and this big tree mover guy have been working together and uh, has put them in just beautifully. And it's been a lot of uh, laying it out and doing stuff and, and making sure it's done correctly. And so I went and bought him some mums and wrote him a little card and everything, telling him how much I appreciate that. Because those aren't my strengths. Those aren't my strengths. And I just wanted to know, tell him how much he was appreciated. So you have submission, you have respect, and then you have love. Ladies, we need to love our husband. Titus 2.4 says that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Brian brought it up before uh, at our wedding. May you look back at the day that you were married, the pastor said, and see how small your love once was. And we do that, don't we? Love is an attitude of unconditional acceptance. You accept your husband as the imperfect person that he is. He doesn't have to perform. He's a, he's a gift to you. And what do you do with a gift? If I give you a gift, Sherry, are you going to go, oh, I hate that paper. Oh, that wrapping paper is terrible. What a small box. Oh, that bow is just not my kind. Oh, it seems awfully light. Would you do that? Would you pick apart the gift? No, you'd graciously accept it. And then you could hardly wait to see what's inside. Your husband is a gift to you, and you accept him because he's the gift. You accept his thoughts, you accept his feelings, you accept his decisions, and you accept his failures. And that's crucial, to accept his failures. See, it's something that you do. It's active love. It's listening. It's listening to him. Women, we are good at multitasking, aren't we? We can have, you know, pancakes going, bacon going, sleepovers going, your kids talking to you, putting away stuff in the dishwasher and this, this, and then your husband comes in, and what do you do? You turn your back to him, and you do, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, great, uh-huh, right. And you stand with your back to him, putting away the dishes, going, yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh. Does he think he's being listened to? No. We need to listen to him. And it's also accepting his lifestyle from his schedule. And you know who taught me that? Carrie McKeithrey did. Now I'm going to wait. She totally accepted her husband's lifestyle. He ended up having to travel quite often. He was in Austria. He was traveling globally. And uh, she totally accepted him. Totally accepted how it was going to change the family dynamics. Totally trusted Jesus Christ for it. And day after day after day, she would continue to encourage me in that. It's been years that's been going on. And I can see how incredible, what a cheerleader she is for her husband, even though the lifestyle might be sort of hard right now. But she knows that it's just a season of time. You know, God has her in that. And then you protect your husband, and you protect him 
from criticism in public. You come alongside, you let them know how much you love them, and you don't allow them to be criticized in public. You don't do things in public. And also, loving them is being committed to a sexual, fulfilling sexual relationship. It's communication, it's giving. So you have submission, you have respect, you have love, and then lastly, ladies, we make our home a priority. We make our home a priority. Proverbs 3.27 says, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Titus 2, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. God intended, ladies, to make homemaking a privilege for us. A privilege for us. And did you know a new survey was taken? And only 3% of 17-year-old girls want to become a homemaker. Only 3% of 17-year-old girls want to become a homemaker. You know, it's our primary ministry. It's, it's a statement of our values. And you're going to communicate if you enjoy your home. You're going to communicate, you know, even if your home's a mess, you're going to have quality and quantity time with your husband and your kids. God has placed the instruction and care for our kids on us, moms, on us. And it's a privilege to nurture our children. It's a privilege to bring up these little eternal souls on loan to us. It's a privilege to teach and train Becca, who's in seventh grade, and Tori, who's in second grade, to live for eternity and not for this little time on earth. It's a privilege. In fact, um, just, was it Thursday? Thursday was at parent-teacher conference, and, um, and Tori's in second grade, and her teacher was speaking about what a little helper she is and how, how she's uh, a little little helper around and wants to help everybody. And then I went to Becca's uh, seventh grade teachers, to five of them. And every single teacher said, what a servant heart your daughter has. What a servant heart she has. She's always asking, may I help you? May I help someone else? May I do something for you? If she doesn't feel well, she knows that I'm not feeling well and comes alongside. And I was extremely humbled, extremely humbled by that. Because, you know, that kind of stuff is more caught than it is taught. These are these little eternal souls on loan to us. And Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So wives, we are to surrender our control over to God and trust him with our husband. And you know what happens then? God pours out his promises over us. So the word of God says. He pours out his promises. And he has to be faithful because he's God. So he pours out his promises over us. In fact, 1 Peter 3 says that we will be honored. We'll be honored. Ephesians 5 says we'll be cherished. And then the Proverbs 31 woman says we'll be blessed, we'll be praised, we'll be valued, and we'll be secure. And that is a jubilee marriage. In fact, I saw that in my mom. I saw that in my mom. I saw God pour out his promises over my mom. My dad went to heaven 23 years ago. My mom is in heaven over a year ago now. And, and as I watched their marriage, I remember my mom saying to me, Margot, I might be the only Jesus that your dad ever sees. And so I will continue being Jesus to him. I might be the only Jesus that your dad ever sees. And so I will continue being Jesus. Be Jesus 
with your husband. Be Jesus to your husband. Okay, wives, that's it. Now, men, it's your turn, okay? And God made you different on purpose to complete us as well. You were not made to be alone, and we're to be one. But how does that happen? Because men are so different from women. And that difference usually isn't found out until we do that until death do us part stuff, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, huh? Okay, let me read to you how different you guys are, or we are, I should say. Men and women are different down to each and every cell of their bodies, down to the 23rd chromosome to be exact. Males and females differ physically, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, and relationally. The male hormone testosterone affects both the way a man's body develops and the way his brain thinks. Compared to a woman, a man generally has a smaller stomach, but more gastrointestinal pride. (laughs) Okay, I put that in there. I'm sorry. I hardly ate a thing because I wanted to make sure, you know, nothing had Brian ate, ate. He's like, oh, men know. know? (laughs) Um, Larger lungs, 20% more red blood cells, 50% greater brute strength, a shorter lifespan, less ability to stand high temperatures, a lower heart rate. He has greater sensitivity to light, but less sensitivity to sound. Greater likelihood of being left-handed, dyslexic, or nearsighted greater tendency to have allergies, greater aggressiveness, stronger sex drive, he's more easily stimulated sexually by sight, less aware of how to develop an interpersonal relationship, more logical and less intuitive. Men and women are different inside and outside. They look, act, and think differently. Current research is discovering anatomical differences in the brain that may underlie subtle differences in mental abilities that determine verbal skills and spatial perception. Men and women are different inside and outside. Outside, They look, act, and think differently. So there's a bit of control going on in every man's being, but God has a plan for a jubilee marriage with your wife, and your nature goes against that sacrificial relationship he's formed you to have. So some of us guys like to hang on to that control stuff. Um, and by the way, like I said earlier, I had about 250 words, so you know, now I'm into my part. So. Anyway, there we go. So, you know, we talked about uh, respect, right? And uh, that's uh, their responsibility to us, but ours is to, is to love them. So I want to talk to you guys about that. You know, hanging on to the control part of it, like, like we tend to do as guys, and the pride can, uh, can get pretty big sometimes as a guy. It's hard to say that you're wrong. And, um, you know, so we have to get past that point, or our, or our marriage and our relationship is going to head for a crash if we don't. So, you know, we're typically missing the miracles that God wants in our lives if we don't do that. And uh, if we don't relinquish that kind of control and uh, that pride uh, over to God, it it just makes for a very hard relationship if we don't. You know, God's given us clear-cut directives on how we're to treat our wife. You know, very clear about that biblically. And uh, I want to share that with you guys in, in a few areas. There's about six key things that I wanted to talk to the husbands about um, and just touch briefly on, on them. As, we, as Margo spent time on, you know, their responsibility is to, is to respect us, right? Uh, but it's our responsibility to love them. You know, no place does it say that uh, we're to respect them. It says we're to love them and, and vice versa. And so, you know, husbands, you know, we're, we're to treat our wives with purity. 
know, I don't know how often uh, any of you guys have gone to Promise Keepers or anything like that, but it was a shocking statistic when it talked about how like over 60% of the guys had been on a porno site the week before they had gone to a Promise Keepers event. And, uh, you know, that just doesn't speak well of, of any of us to, uh, to have that um, going on in, in the Christian camp. So, you know, impure sexual joking, same sort of thing. You know, taking, um, making crude jokes, um, you know, looking at uh, the waitress when you're traveling, um, you know, any of that kind of stuff. I've heard people talk about actually taking their television out of their hotel room so that they're not even tempted when they get there. Just have the, have the uh, concierge come take it out before, they're even, before they even check in so that there's no opportunity to, uh, you know, go, go astray in that area. So, you know... We need to treat our wives with purity. That's probably the biggest and most important thing, especially in this day and age. Margo was referring to Hollywood and everything else. It, it is so easy to be uh, drawn into the world's traps, and we just need to keep, keep our eyes uh, focused on a straight and narrow. And we also need to treat our wives with understanding. And uh, we need to understand that as they live, um, we're to... Sorry. We're to be understanding as they live their lives as our wives. Um, we need to invest time and energy in them. Uh, it's real easy to do that with our job, right, and just bring home the leftovers. Uh, like Margot was talking earlier about the, uh, the uh, worry tree, you know, just dumping it off and, and hanging it up outside so that uh, you don't bring that kind of stuff into the house because, you know, at the, uh, you know, at the end of the day, your family is the most important thing to you, not, not your job. And, um, you know, there was uh, something said once about, um, you know, at, at, the fun at your funeral, you know, nobody's going to look back and say, you know, I wish I'd have worked, you know, 10 more hours this last week. You know, it, it's, it's spending the time with the family that's the important thing. And um, we also need to, uh, you know, keep in mind that, you know, as she was going through with the chromosomes and all the chemistry buildup and the differences of, of men and women, that women obviously... Uh, as they've gone through with the child uh, bearing and things like that comes the, the menopause and the, uh, all the different things that happen like that in the, in the woman's side of things. And, you know, I felt like, just to tell a little story because we've already been there and gone, but uh, I felt like I was <laughs> sleeping with the clothes dryer. <laughs> thunk, 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 yeah. It yeah. was. Hot, it cold, was. hot, cold. <laughs> You know, she didn't need to hear that, obviously, at that time, and probably didn't want to hear it again now. But uh, you know, that was that was sort of how it felt back at that point. But uh, you know, really, what she needed was was compassion at that point. You know, we as guys obviously don't have a clue what they're going through chemically with with all that kind of stuff, and uh, with their bodies changing. And um, you know, she needed she needed my hugs, obviously, at that point, and not not the criticism. Um, on how not to bother me in my sleep, you know, but it was more about that. <laughs> That's not a good thing to bring up, trust me. If, you've, uh, if you come upon that point in time, not a good line to Or just use. hand you a book, How to Handle Your Hot Flashes. You know, yeah. See ya. Like, yeah, that's right. You know, and, and so, you know, we need to treat them with that kind of understanding, and, and likewise with dignity and honor as well. Um, you know, Peter told the husbands to honor their wives in First Peter, and that's exactly what we are to do, um, especially through prayer, by lifting them up in prayer. Um, I don't know if it's my speaking technique or if it's just my uh, romantic voice or whatever, but when we pray before we go to bed uh, or before we go to sleep while we're laying together, 
Um, nine times out of ten, she'll fall asleep in the middle of my prayer time. And I'm like, is that a good or a bad thing? You know, I'm just thinking, it's a good thing. It, but it is. I, I know it's a good thing. I know the Lord is uh, just uh, soothing her with that. So, you know, thanks, honey, for reaffirming that. I appreciate that. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's groaning inside of me. He understands. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we're to treat them with love, you know, especially, you know, love, love encompasses a lot of things, and, and, and uh, that's how we're to act with our wives. Um, you know, we're supposed to imitate the kind of love that Christ had for us and has for us um, as the church. And he, you know, he, we should also treat our wife as we would want to be treated, right? Just like she talked about even the example with the dog, how you would speak to the dog. You know, if you don't use the right, right tones of voice, even if you're trying to convey something positive, it's still not going to come across in a, in a positive way. Well, guys, did you hear that? Now I'm talking to the guys all of a sudden. Did you hear that? Jesus laid down his life for the church. Okay, and are you living sacrificially and laying down your life for your wife? Because she needs to know that. It's not about performance love. It's about unconditional love. And it's about Jesus' love. And... Um, Many a times I see Brian laying down his life for me. I remember three and a half years ago when God called uh, us as a family to the fish. And uh, it was something that, that God in his miraculous and mysterious ways did. And uh, I remember going before uh, Brian and the kids and saying, you know, guys, this is a family decision. You know, this, is, this is a decision together. And because... It, mommy needs to be gone early in the morning. I won't be there in the morning. And Brian would be with the girls in the morning. And sometimes he travels as well. And I can remember praying and God saying to all of us, yeah, this is what it's going to be. And so we're all doing it together. It's not just that I'm on the fish. We're doing this in a season of time because God's called us to this. And it's really sacrificial. It's, it's unconditional love with me, with for Brian. And the amount of speaking that I do on weekends and going to retreats and going out of town. It's a, it's a sacrificial type of love that Brian gives to me. Another one that we are to, uh, to do with our, uh, we focus on with our wives is the, you know, a, awareness of her giftedness. Um, you know, as she was talking about, she's been blessed with the abilities uh, to, to have uh, speaking retreats on weekends and things like that. Um, you know, she's, she's gifted from the Holy Spirit in these areas, and, you know, to stand in the way of that, even though she's, like she said, gone during the, during the days and the mornings uh, at the radio station and whatnot, to, to be selfish and say, no, you can't go on weekends and, and share the Lord and, and have that kind of ministry with others would just be very, be very selfish. And, uh, you know, the, the Lord has given, you know, many examples of how women have been used in, in the church, um, in Romans 16, you know, it's talked about, you know, a list of many of the women that uh, Paul mentioned that had notable impact in, in the spiritual life of, of many people. So, you know, it's one of those things that while it's difficult to do as a family, um, we know it's the right thing to do f for his kingdom. And, and, you know, the other thing that we're supposed to do as guys is to um, honor them uh, with submission. You know, Margo, um, you covered that one under the wife's responsibilities. Um, but the husband is also supposed to be submissive. Yeah, as you're a leader, the husband is to be a sacrificial leader, a servant leader. You know, the scripture says submitting one to another. 
in love, submitting one to another in love. That doesn't contradict the headship of Brian over me or contradict your husband's headship over you. But it does mean that the man is to be self-sacrificing, as Jesus was, as he is. He came to die. He came to lay down his life for us. And that's exactly what a man is to do for his wife. He's to be a servant leader. So husbands, God has given you a clear-cut directive that, that we're all to uh, live as one with our wives, right? He's intended that to be the way that marriage should be. He does it in and through you if you take these things that we've talked about into account in your, in your marriage. But you can't possibly do all this stuff on your own, obviously. It takes the Holy Spirit, as Margot talked about earlier, being the part of the, of the marriage that uh, ties everything together. See, God's answer to your marriage and to Brian and my marriage is, requires humility. It requires humility. It doesn't require your help. This isn't a self-help course. This requires humility. And you know, the, sort, the, the help that you will get will come from Jesus. It will come from other sources. It will come how he works through his word. He works through the body of believers. He works through the Holy Spirit. He works through your circumstances. And everything that happens in your marriage happens for our good and his glory. And the sooner that you release control and surrender, the sooner God responds to you. He goes, I've been waiting for that all along. What are you waiting for? I've been waiting been right here for you, waiting for you to surrender your marriage to me all along. See, God made Brian and me, as you heard from the beginning of our talk, distinctively different. We're very different. Your spouse is different from, your husband is different from your wife. The wife is different from the husband. You're male and you're female. So you know why? So we could be put together to reflect God's image. His peace, his oneness, which causes a jubilee marriage. Now I want to share something with you. If you're missing a key ingredient in your life, what we shared with you tonight is never going to take place in your marriage. Never. Because the key ingredient is Jesus. Jesus is the jubilee. He is the jubilee. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this isn't going to work. See, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I asked him to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. I'm the one who put him on the cross. Just my sin alone put Jesus Christ on that cross. And he died for me. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. And Brian owns his own faith. See, I can't own Brian's faith. Brian can't own my faith. We each have to have our own faith in Jesus Christ. And then what happens is, is that when you're on the same playing field, when Jesus lives in your heart, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in you. He's your power. Like I always say, Oswald Chambers says in my utmost for his highest, the Holy Spirit doesn't give you the power. He is your power. He is your power in your marriage. He is your power throughout the day. He is your power to be who you should be to your spouse, even when you don't feel like it. But it begins and ends with Jesus, with a personal relationship with Jesus. And then you can work on your marriage collectively. I don't know where you guys stand. You might say, you know, Margo, you're talking to the choir here. I might be. 
But if you don't know Jesus personally, that's where you need to start. Or maybe you're holding on to some pretty yuck bitterness stuff. Or maybe there's some grudges. Or maybe there's some uh, forgiveness that you need to ask your spouse tonight. Do it. Do it. Make it right. Because Jesus is just waiting for you to bring that together. You know who hates our marriages? A godly marriage? Satan hates marriage. Because God made it. God ordained it. He said one man, one woman equals marriage. He ordained it. And Satan hates that. And he's working overtime against your marriage if your marriage is about Jesus Christ. So you need to become a reflection of him. But you first need to ask him in if you don't know him. Let me close with a story. A woman went to a silversmith, and he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in the refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were hottest so as to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot then she thought about the verse that says in Malachi 3.3, He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. The man answered that yes, not only he had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was in the fire a moment too long, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, How do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, Oh, that's easy. When I see my image in it. Oh, that's easy. When I see my image in it. You know how you're refined? It's when God looks down at you and he sees his son's image when he looks at you. You know how your marriage is refined into a jubilee marriage? It's when he looks down at you and sees you as one and sees Jesus in your face together. That's how a jubilee marriage works. Because Jesus is the jubilee. Why don't you close in prayer with us? Lord Jesus, we love you. And we just thank you so, so much, Lord, for who you are that you stepped out of glory to come and die for us, and that you are living right now, you're raised on the third day, and you're seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us right now. Lord, as real as we are standing here, that's how real it is. Lord, thank you for doing that. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for ordaining this night before the creation of time to come together. Lord, I don't know if anyone out here needs to know you personally tonight. But Lord Jesus, you just be the hound of heaven and go after that person. Let them know how much you love them. And if they just want to climb into this prayer, Lord, may they climb into it now and say, Dear Jesus, you know, uh, I do know I'm a sinner. I do know I put you on the cross. And I've never really asked forgiveness of you. I've sort of done the religion thing and tried to reach up to you and be moral and give it to church and go to church and and try to reach to you, but Lord, I, I really don't have a relationship like Margo was talking about. So Jesus, right now, I want you to enter my heart. I ask you to forgive my sin. And I want you to come in and live in me and make me different and refine me so I can live for you forever and with you forever in eternity. Or maybe you need to ask forgiveness of things that you have said or grudges you've held, 
bitterness unconfessed in between your husband and wife, oh God, may they just stop now and ask you for that forgiveness. May you bring it up later, Lord, as they leave. May they have that nugget of truth that they can just chew on and it will just drive them nuts until they give it over to each other and to you. Lord, our words are not life-changing, but tonight your words are. And so, Lord, I know that you have worked in this place. I know you've worked in Brian in my heart. I know you have made us new. And I know that's what you want to do in everyone's lives here. And so, Lord, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for the opportunity for tonight. We thank you for these precious people in this room. And, Lord, I just uh, give you all the praise and glory tonight for what you have done, what you will do, and what you are doing even right now. In Jesus' name.